good morning. It's Ken Walls. Welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am really excited to have you guys here today. want to thank you all in advance for sharing this out. We have an unbelievable guest on today. My good friend, my good buddy, Martin Matthews is on the show. Welcome to the show, Martin. What's up, man? How good, you doing, brother? Good, man. Good morning. Good morning to you. Dude, you're down in Atlanta, right? Yes, I am. Hot Atlanta. Hey, it's, it's already 85 degrees or something. <laughs> it's hot down. I, I lived down there for about a year or so. It was hot, hot, hot. But it's an awesome city. So, hey, I, I um, you know, I created this show to, um, to, to kind of give back to the world. You know what I mean? Like, like there's so many people, whether they're entrepreneurs or they're just people <laughs> that they kind of, you know, get stuck in life and they don't know how to overcome it. So I love having people on here who have made it. And you've certainly, I mean, you've done very, very well for yourself. Um, and you've certainly overcome some uh, challenges for sure. Um, so, you know, I want to want to kind of start out with. Um, you know, kind of telling everybody who you are and, and, and where you, where you were born and raised. Let's start there. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on here. I'm excited to be on and, and share with people and hopefully, you know, some aspect of my story inspires somebody, uh, out there. So I was born in a little country in West Africa called Liberia. Liberia's got uh, about when – I, when I was born, it had about 3 million people. Now they've got 4.5 million, 5 million people. So it's a relatively small African country. Wow. And so beautiful place, uh, but you know, uh, a lot of struggles in that place. From 1989 till about you know, in the 2000s, we had a civil war in my country. So in my youth, there was a lot of war going on and things like that. So – so that was my experience. I got a chance to, to live in a place where beautiful place, beautiful people, but a lot of chaos and destruction was around. So I, I didn't have this normal childhood growing up. It was just kind of this crazy environment that you did your best to, to live through and make it through. So, uh, so and we, we did our best. My father uh, was a politician of some note in the country. Um, he used to be the secretary of state for the country. Oh, wow. And so, um, so yeah, man, it's I got a chance to see from his perspective of life growing up, and I got a chance to see from the poorest of the poor uh, in the villages and some of the poorest places you could ever think of. Um, I got a chance to see all of that. So that was that was where I was born and the environment I grew up in. So so wait a minute, your your father was the secretary of state for the entire country. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, so he was basically the top diplomat in the in the country there, and wow. And, uh, a little little history in Liberia. Liberia was founded by freed slaves. So slaves came to America and didn't really uh, – uh, when they got freed, some of them didn't really know exactly where in Africa to go back and resettle. So freed slaves decided they went to Africa, settled back on the West Coast, and formed this country called Liberia. Liberia is the first uh, independent republic. It was never colonized, so Liberia was never a colony of any Western country. They went back and decided we're going to start our own country, and, uh, and so that's what they did. So, so it's the oldest republic in Africa. 1847, Liberia became an independent country, uh, but it's had a lot of struggles along the way. So, yeah, my my father, 
uh, is known as the father of multi-point democracy in Liberia. Because when they when these these people go back to Liberia and set up the country, it's really a small group of people in power, and so. Um, so over time, they, uh, they, they, they started to have elections and things like that. So they, they went through a whole lot as a nation to get, to get to that point. Wow. Dude, that's incredible. I did not know that. So, but as, as you know, the child of the Secretary of State, looks like your wife is on here. She said Martin is royalty. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as the, and I, you know, I love you all, so. But as the child of somebody that's, I mean, that's a powerful position to be in. And, and, and so were, was there like, was, were there, were there, weren't there wars and stuff going on all around you? Oh yeah. You know, um, I had, I had a, I had a, my home attacked, uh, because here, here's the, to understand a situation I grew up in is basically this my my father wanted the the poor people everybody to kind of decide the future of the country and there was a group of people who were in power before that didn't want everybody to have a decision only wanted a select group of people to be the ones to decide what happens in the country so he advocated for the common man he advocated for everybody having an opportunity and so a lot of people didn't like that and so a lot of people were enemies of of, of him and um, he was very opposed to war. He wasn't opposed to because that's that's how sometimes people took power. And sometimes it still happens nowadays. Take power in Africa. They go and assassinate the president that's there, and they take his place. And then and now to become the president. <laughs> and so wow. he he wanted to do things by choice. Let the people decide between two candidates. That that was his philosophy. And so, uh, so he got, a, he made a lot of enemies because that was the, the path. He, he, he was about peace and prosperity. And that was the, 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 the environment that we grew up in where, uh, some of his enemies try to, try to harm him, try to kill him. Uh, you know, on one occasion, our home got attacked and they threw a grenade in our backyard and shot into our homes and, you know, we had to flee. Were you there? So he, Were you home? Oh yeah, I was there. I was what? there. Uh, I was actually by the window uh, when they threw the grenade. I really actually didn't know what it was at the time, but they threw a grenade uh, in our yard and exploded, and and uh, it cracked the window. I was standing. I was standing by in my father's bedroom, looking outside, and then it exploded in there. So we we uh, because of his position, I grew up with uh, security guards, and I never I, as a kid I never went anywhere by myself. I always had a security guy. And because this was a war zone, uh, people who have AK-47s are security people, and we had military people and, and special police people assigned to us. So we'd go to the beach sometimes, and there's a guy following you with his AK-47 <laughs> to protect oh you. <laughs> so it wow. sounds kind of weird, but but that was the the environment that I grew up in. And uh, and I tell you, Ken, every day there used to be a line of people coming to our house to ask my father for money. Wow. Uh, because there's a lot of poverty in Liberia, so they will line up and and uh, they, you know we we'd open the gates, they'll come in and they'll kind of sit there and he'll he'll see them one by one, and uh, wow. for maybe an hour or so each day they'll come in there, spend a few minutes with him and, and tell him what was happening in their lives and and why they needed some money and you know he'll give them some money. I used to sit in the corner and I would listen to their stories, and so from a young age I learned how important money was. 
I learned the role that money plays in people's life. For them, it was like a survival tool. You know, so when, when I see people have negative views about money, it, it always seemed funny to me because I saw money being used to help people. That's I saw money as a tool for survival for philanthropy. Yeah. My father really tried to help people. He 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 did that in some ways to his own detriment. Uh, he sacrificed a lot of things for himself to be able to, to others. Wow. Wow, and I I apologize to our viewers. the The internet is choppy. I don't know what's going on, but um, it's I can hear you pretty well. But you, your your video keeps fading in and out a little bit. But um, that's all right. Let's just roll, man. The show must go on. So that's so, right. So you know, um, wow, dude. I I didn't know. I knew a little bit of that. I didn't know all of that. So so you so everywhere you went you had an an armed <laughs> an armed military guy carrying and you know not just like a little Smith and Wesson but a, an AK47 everywhere you went oh my god so well the only place they couldn't bring the weapons in was at at a, they couldn't bring a rifle in at my school so whenever my dad came he didn't really come to my school a whole lot but Whenever he came to my school to need to talk to the teacher or something like that, the 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 military guys had to be outside and they they would leave the rifle outside and they would take out the magazine. They could go inside with the magazine and then the guys with the pistols could go inside, but you couldn't take the rifle into the school. So <laughs> wow, that's in that's insane, dude. That is insane. Are you? There? Can you hear me? Uh oh. We haven't we have an issue here. He's frozen. Martin, you're frozen. Uh oh. Um Well hey, let's just do this. Let's um end the Skype call and I'll call him right back. How about that? We'll get him back on here. So wow man, he has got an unreal story. I don't know what's going on. Can you guys still hear me? I don't know what's happening here. Can you guys still hear me? Okay. Um, hey, Claudia, how are you? I think we had a little issue here. I can't... I'm trying Martin back here. Trying him back. No answer. Rut row. Um, okay, I'm I'm having an issue getting a hold of Martin now. Um, let me see. There we go. He's calling me. Okay. Lost you, man. Lost you. Yeah, sorry about that. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, your uh, your internet is um, seems a little choppy, real bad, actually. Um, don't know what. Don't know what that is. I, I I tried calling you back several times and it, it didn't go through. Um, okay. 
All right. Well, hey, let's just keep going. See, see, because it 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 does get uh, clear here and there. So, um, so hang on a second. Let me let me change something here really quick and see if that might make a difference. Okay. <laughs> Rosie Geller said, "Martin, did you forget to pay the bill?" <laughs> That's messed up. Is that any better? Yeah, actually, I think it is, man. Okay. Yes, you're crystal clear now. Okay, awesome. Yeah, okay. So, um, all right, we are back. We're back at it here. Great, now I have to edit. <laughs> I have to edit the video now. So, um <clears throat> So, all right, so back to the, 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 the guards would come in the school. They couldn't bring in their rifles. That's a, that's a crazy, that is literally a crazy way to grow up. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. <laughs> like, that's intense, dude. Yeah, it, it's, um, I didn't grow up in a normal way, but it gave me some insights about life. Um, I never really ha had a normal childhood. But it gave me some really great insights about life. It gave me insights about people. It gave me insights to understand that everybody's got a story and everybody's got something. It really gave me an insight about money. That was one of the biggest lessons I learned as a kid from living in that situation because I tell people all the time, I grew up in a poor African country. I didn't necessarily grow up poor personally, but poverty was around me everywhere. Even as a kid, adults would come and ask me for money. Like as a kid, imagine asking me for money because they needed to pay their rent, they wow. needed to buy food, and I used to have uh, 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 my back left pocket, so money I would get from my dad and things like that, I would, I would keep in my back left pocket to give away. Wow. So imagine that probably every day, probably at least three to five people ask you for money. Wow. And uh, a lot of people don't even know you. And as a kid, so imagine, you know, imagine Abigail, your daughter, you know, she's got adults coming asking her for money. <laughs> and that was, that was what it was like for me growing up there. So wow. I understood the role that money plays. And I understood my, the position my father held because he would, he would always try to be generous to people. I, I learned a lot of generosity from my parents. But yeah, that, that was how it was like. We had security guards going everywhere. It sounds wow. like it's exciting or, or it sounds like, uh, like it's, uh, oh, cool, yeah, bodyguards and all that. Actually, I hated it. It sucked. Yeah, yeah bodyguards, the threat was real. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no kidding, man. I, I couldn't, I can't, I don't, I, personally, I don't see that as, as cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. if there's, if the threat is real, that means that there could be real bullets whizzing at you. Like, that's. You know, yeah. oh yeah, there was a there was a there was a plot to kidnap me one time. So uh, so I had to, I had a there was special attention on me for whatever reason, and so there was a plot to kidnap me and and uh, so I had to have security people everywhere. There was a period where uh, at school there used to be this little restaurant right across the street from my school, and so we used to have two security guys sit in a restaurant just in case something happened. Wow. And actually, one day something did happen. One day, you know, there was riots in the city, and they were planning on coming to my school. The school I went to was the school that kind of the high-profile people, kids went to. Yeah. So they were planning to come and, and do something at our school, and so our security guys, you know, they got raided. They got raided. 
threat coming to the school. So they literally ran in class, pulled me out of class, and we ran and grabbed my sister, pulled her out of class. It wasn't even like, hey, can you get permission? They literally just walked into the class and said, let's go. And so I grabbed my bag, and then we run, ran out. And, and so <laughs> it sounds crazy, but that, that was kind of reality for us. And I really don't – I don't talk about these a whole lot, these – these kinds of things. I talk about it here every every now and then, but my childhood really shaped the adult I became in terms of caring about people, in terms of coming to America and, and wanting to understand how wealth is created so that I can use money as a tool to help other people. And so, um, and so. so and, and, you know, look, here, here uh, I think that, um, I think, uh, personally, I think that childhood does shape who we become as an adult and Mm -hmm. you know at least it has a significant impact now you know those who've had a really really horrible childhood and still came out successful um you know those those people did something different than than the general general population would do and and you like i'm and it's kind of a rhetorical question but i'm sure you saw people like killed I, I would imagine. Yeah. I'm, I mean, as a child. Yeah, I, I saw my first uh, dead body at six years old. Oh, my God, dude. And um, when I was probably, let's see, I was probably uh, 12. When I was 12 years old, we were hiding in a, in a house. We used, to, we used to sleep in one house. This is kind of in the middle of a war now. Jeez. And we used to sleep in one house in the daytime. And we'd go to another house when it got dark. We'd go to another house and sleep at that house. Wow. And we'd wake up while it was still dark and go back to the other, the previous house so that people wouldn't know where we were sleeping at night. Wow. So we would always have to travel in the cover of darkness. And so it would be kind of – we would walk. We never took the car or anything. We'd like walk. <laughs> and so we would sleep in this neighborhood. And and one night uh, – uh, about 12 – one night, it actually started – it was raining – and then somebody came and discovered some people were looking for us uh, or something like that. I don't know if they were actually targeting us or just looking for someone else and happened to go to that particular house. But um, they were trying to get us to come out, and they were, they were rebel forces with guns. So they're trying to get us to come out. And, of course, we didn't want to come out of the house. They didn't know we were armed in the house, so they didn't want to come in. Wow. But what they did was they shot through the window. They shot through our bedrooms. We're, we're in the bed, and the security people told us to lie down on the floor. So they shot through the bedroom window and shot all in the bed that we were in probably uh, two minutes before. If we, oh. if we would have kept sleeping, it probably would have just killed us. And um, Wow. And actually that, that night, uh, the guy who owned the house, his wife, went to she – was, she was going to go lock the door. And uh, she got shot from the side, right, right in front of us. Oh my and, god! Um, and uh, she didn't make it. So, so, uh, and I don't mean to lay a soft story on you guys, but, but that's those were things that we experienced. War, living in a war zone, is is real. And this was like a civil war where, you know, it's uh, rebel forces trying to fight against the government and yeah. some other opposing rebel forces and fighting in the streets. And shooting bullets in the streets. I yeah. mean, that that's that's uh, well, that's what a war zone is like. And, and, and dude, this isn't about this isn't about a sob story. It's reality. <laughs> I mean, that's not yeah. a, that's reality. And and you know, at, at at six years old and 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 twelve and you know that whole thing, man. Seeing all of that, it, not just seeing it, living it, experiencing it, like 
running to another house because you're going to die if they catch you, like, you know, and knowing that as a child, like, so, so, um, wow, dude. So, okay. So at some point I did you like, it doesn't sound like you did. Like, it sounds like you may have missed a few days of school here and there. (laughs) We sure did, man. Um, that was a big thing in Liberia because wars would get started and then you'd schools would shut down and, and then you'd wait a few months and what will happen is the fighting will go on for three, four, five, six months and then it'll have a ceasefire and then people agree to start, stop fighting and then, you know, a month or two after that, it'll reopen schools. <laughs> and, uh, so that's, that's how it went and you, you try to, to get back to school and get things going, but your, the whole, your whole life became disrupted. With, yeah. with with that and um, yeah, so we missed some parts of school. Yeah, um, I was I was a I was a pretty good student, so I got I got skipped classes in school, uh, and so uh, the wars didn't affect me as much. But there were people who didn't graduate high school till they were in their twenties uh, wow. because of the war. They missed years yeah. of school because of the war, and and you know I, I came to America my senior year of high school so I, I, I completed high school in America I graduated at 16 it was oh because I, they, had skipped, they had skipped me in some classes before so um, I actually wanted to spend an extra year in high school because I was new to America and I didn't feel like at 16 I was ready for college yet <laughs> I'd just been in America one year yeah. so I figured I thought I wanted to stay an extra year but then a, a guidance counselor said well you got enough credits to graduate <laughs> So they, they kind of said, well, why don't you just graduate now? And so I graduated and I took a year off and then I went to college at 17. So uh, let's let's talk about the the coming to America thing that that uh, isn't that an Eddie Murphy movie? <laughs> <laughs> that was the highest grossing movie that year when I came out. Oh, like, was it really? America. Yeah, that was an awesome great movie. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> I love that movie. So, so, so like, let's talk about that. So here you are like, dude, was, was English the primary language? Yeah. So because Liberia was founded by free slaves, they went back and established there. So Liberia is surrounded by other countries, like Liberia is surrounded by uh, next to a country called Ivory Coast. And they speak French there because there used to be a French colony. Oh, okay. And, oh, okay. Um, and, but yeah, Liberia is English speaking. is next to another country called Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone used to be a British colony. Okay. Uh, so Liberia, we grew up speaking English there. And then most people there speak uh, an African dialect, like they, whatever the language is for their tribe. So my okay. tribe in Liberia is called Basa. So, so, uh, so, you know, my, we, we learned a little, little bit of Basa when we were growing up. A lot of the war in Liberia was about tribal lines, certain tribes in like some other tribes. And yeah. so people were killed yeah. just because they belonged to one tribe. But, um, but no, it, it was, uh, it was a, an interesting thing with the language, with the language thing. So I, I, I grew up speaking, I grew up speaking English. And then when I came to America, it was hard for sometimes people to understand me. So I try to, to talk American, <laughs> try wow. to adapt how I talk so people could understand me better. Because yeah. I, I hated them asking me, what did you say? Repeat that. <laughs> so, <clears throat> dude, I mean, you throw in a, a couple of dragons and you have a real life Game of Thrones, it sounds like, man. So, <laughs> so like, you, you end up in your senior year. Um, somebody along the way decided that you should be in America. 
Well, I, I used to, we, we left my home country of Liberia and we moved to a country called the Ivory Coast. Um, and and uh, a guy became president in the country of Liberia. And my father thought it was no longer really safe for us to be there anymore because we were there off and on. And we, sometimes you get caught there during the war and you can't really leave. And so during that time, we decided, he decided that we should, his, the kids would leave the country. So us, my mom, we moved to another country called the Ivory Coast. And uh, they speak French in Ivory Coast. I learned French while I was there. But it's uh, it was a, just a beautiful place. It was a great place. And um, we, because it was a French-speaking country, we went to a satellite school. There was a school in Chicago that had a satellite school there. So we went to that school. And what would happen is when you graduated from that school, you had the opportunity to come to America and attend the graduation. And so my brother, my older brother, who's a year ahead of me, he uh, he came to he, he was com- coming to America to go to the graduation. He was going to stay here, and so I just on a whim I asked my dad. I said, "Can you can you send me to America when, when my brother Jerry's going?" And he said, "Well, let's think about it." And then basically a few days later, he uh, he said, "Okay, I'll send you there." I really didn't have a game plan. Um, I was going to come here and live with my aunt, but she had a lot of people already living in her house, <laughs> so I couldn't really live there. And so, uh, so the wow. school, I, I went to, I went to Illinois. Uh, there's a private school in Illinois. So I went there, and I didn't. We did. I, we didn't really. We had one family friend who lived in Chicago, and so I stayed with her. But the school was like an hour or so away. So I would, I would take the bus and take the train to get to the school in the Chicago suburbs. And so I ended up living with the guidance counselor of my school. So I, uh, you know, we're looking for a family that would host me. So I basically came to America about 15 years old and um, largely by myself. I was so to stay so wait, you, you, did you just say you lived with your, your, your school guidance counselor? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Say, hey, say that with your Liberian accent. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say something else in my Liberian accent later. <laughs> Chelsea told me to ask. She's, she's... Yeah, I, I see that comment on it. She, she loves it. Because when we start, when I start talking to my siblings or my mom, you know, I talk, we have the Liberian, the Liberian accent comes out. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Dude, it, like I, I would never in a million years guess that you had any kind of an accent. Like it's crazy. Yeah, man. <clears throat> you, you've, you've nailed the American accent. <laughs> Well, you know, kids, people, people can be brutal. I, I spent when I was a, when I was, I think, eight years old, I came to America for two years and the kids were brutal. They made fun of me for for being from Africa. They wow. they called me names. They called me an African booty scratcher. I mean, they were brutal. They called and you so, what? Uh, they called you what? Oh, an African booty scratcher. What the hell? <laughs> what in the hell is that? That's an insult people in America have for kids from Africa. I don't, I don't even know where the hell that came from. I've they never call, heard so, that. They, yeah, that was like a big thing. <laughs> they called you an African booty scratcher. <laughs> oh my and, God. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, so they were brutal. So when I came back to America, I went back to Africa and I came back when I was 15 to America. And, um, wow. and I tried so hard to adapt uh, because I, I, didn't want, I didn't want people to make fun of me. So I figured, you know, if I could learn to talk like an American person talks, you know, I would adapt better in America. Yeah. So, uh, so that that that's basically what I did. When I went to a French-speaking country, I learned how to speak French. So I came to America. I, I talked about, you know, 
so anyway, that's uh, that's wow. That, that's how the 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 way I talk came about. You have to adapt, you know, to your environment. Well, I I mean, dude, I I you 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 sound like you you have no accent, so I don't know. But um, I I thought maybe you came over here as in fact like your your um. You're like your English, American English is so perfect. I, I figured you like came over at like as a baby or something. You never even like <laughs> like that's crazy, dude. Like so, you came over here at 16 years old, and and like wow, that's insane. Okay, so so you ended up going to college. Was this in Illinois as well in Chicago? No, I went. I came down south. To Winthrop University, um, and I only ended up there because my brother was there. So I was like, I got all these offers from schools. I didn't know where the hell to go. So I was like, okay, my brother's at this school, so I'll figure I'll go there. So I, I went there. People don't know this, but you think college is expensive. I was an international student in college. International students pay three times the price. Wow. And uh, we were paying cash. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So my, my father my father sponsored me my first year of college uh, at three times the price oh <laughs> of, my God. Of, as a full-time student because to, to come here and go to college when you're from another country is very expensive. Uh, and so uh, – and then after a year of doing that, I, I really decided I didn't want to be in college anymore. I wanted to get into the workforce. I was, I was very disappointed by my college experience. I studied – I took an entrepreneurship course. And the professor who was teaching this course had never owned a business before, so he would bring these he would bring these guys in to lecture every now and then. About once a month, he would bring a business guy in, and this guy would come and lecture. And these guys would come and talk, and they'll say, "Hey, you know, college is great, uh, but I don't have a college degree." (laughs) (laughs) And then after about the third guy that came and said that, and I was like, "Well, wait a minute. I've always been told you come to America, and that's the thing." Africans, a lot of Africans, if they if they have the opportunity, want to come to America or go to England yeah. and some kind of Western country and get a Western education because you're told that's more valuable. Right. And then after I after this guy, and one day I went to see him. How I found out he had never owned a business. One day I went to see him because I put a business plan together, and I went to go see him in his office to talk about some business ideas I had. And so I started asking him about what it was like when he started his business, and then eventually he just told me, "Well, you know, I." I've been teaching my whole life, so I've never had a business. (laughs) And that just completely disappointed me. And I thought, what the freaking world? And so uh, basically after that, I decided that that the whole college thing wasn't really for me. I mean, I was was 17 in college. I was, you know, I was uh, pretty advanced, you know. So uh, I decided maybe I – You were smart. Yeah, that's some some people call it that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's all. Dude, own it. It's all good. Yeah, so I I decided it really wasn't for me, and so I stopped going, and I got into the workforce, and I decided I was going to go back to college. My second year in college, I worked full time. I for my I worked full time and paid for it. I never taken any any student loans or anything like that, um, and it was tough to do that. But you know, I then I really was certain that college wasn't for me, but I've helped, I've helped my siblings with college. Matter of fact, my siblings are highly educated, master's degree holder. My sister has a, has a master's degree from Harvard. Uh, she's a Harvard scholar. She got a full scholarship to the, wow. the, to the Harvard Institute of Public Health. My brother has a master's degree. A lot of my siblings are well-educated. 
They all send me their work to look over their work. They send me their – can you help us edit our papers? <laughs> I help pay for, for some of the college. <laughs> so their brother, the college dropout, is, is often asked to – anyway, so that's that was kind of my college experience when I came to America. I, see, I, I love that. I, I think our educational system is a scam, but that's just me. I, you know, here's the thing. I've always thought – Okay, whoever wrote those books that that dude or or gal is teaching me from, like, where did it, where where did the thoughts originate? Where did they like? It had to start somewhere. So yes. so like you know, and if it started somewhere, that means I'm capable of 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 figuring it out or or reading enough material about the subject to to figure it out, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, what I, what I did, Ken, um, I, I liked learning. And uh, one summer while I was in, because the satellite school in Africa that I went to was uh, part homeschool, part you could, you had a physical school you went to, but you, you could get your materials and study on your own. So one summer, I started reading a history book just out of curiosity. And then I, I got through the chapter and I thought, man, let me take the quiz and see how well I do. So I took the quiz and I went to the next chapter. And before you know it, in basically a week or two, I was done with the history book. And so I thought, well, I'm kind of on a roll. Let me do some more stuff. So I basically I did an entire school year in one summer and uh, just really because I was curious and I was kind of bored. So I, I did that and I realized you could learn a lot of things you wanted to learn on your own. And I really didn't even have a teacher that summer. I just kind of went through and, and did the work. And so it's uh a lot of these things you find in books and school and in things, they just they just came from people. Somebody thought it was a good idea to put that, that shit in a book. And so you, you <laughs> got it in there, and now you accept it to be true because it's sitting in some book you learn in school. That's right. So people That's never right. really thought – Whenever a lot of times people never really learn to think for themselves and question things and to find out if they believe that to be true or not. They just – you know, it's, it's in a book in school, so you, you accept it. And um, I always like to challenge wow. things. Dude, that's so that's so true. I mean, I, I and I don't know if you know this or not, but I was, you know, my senior year, they came to me a few months before graduation and they in high school and they said, "Hey, you didn't get a biology credit in 10th grade and you need that credit to graduate." And I'm like, "What the hell am I going to use biology for? I hated it when I took it. That's why I flunked out of it. Like, I'm not going to use that in real life." And they're like, it doesn't matter. I go, come on, let's get, give me the diploma. Let's call it a day and, you know, move on from this. And, and, and of course they said no. And, and so I said, well, you know, um, I, I, I got shit to do and it doesn't include hanging out with you guys anymore. So I left and, and, you know, again, I, I, I look back and, and I think the same way, man, I was, you know, 20 years old, got my first sales job at 20 or 21, somewhere in there. And, and I realized quickly, holy crap, I don't know anything about what I'm doing. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, luckily, I was, I was able to talk to people, and I wasn't afraid, so I did well. But, but I had to learn my craft, and I, I'm, that's when I started studying Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, Jeffrey Gittimer, everything I could get my hands on as it related to selling and managing and running a company, I did, and and you know, so again, I think that you can you can there's there's you know we are all unlimited potential beings. I truly believe that, right? Yeah, 
you can do anything if you just find out what it is you want to do and, and then learn it. Yeah, exactly. There, there you know, there, there are some barriers. What I've learned is that there's some barriers to study. And, and uh, there's, there's three main barriers that was identified that causes people to start studying a topic, fail at it, and never go and do it again. Like a common thing people say is, I can't sell. Well, you can't sell because you never learn how. So, well, well, why didn't you learn how? What were some of the barriers to study? So, one of the barriers to, to, to people learning things is a lot of times you read things that you don't, a person doesn't understand, like a mis, what's called a misunderstood word. Yep. Like, so you read, have you ever read a page and you find yourself, you read that, you get to the bottom of the page, you don't know what the hell you just yep. read? On that page, there was a word that a person went over and didn't really fully understand. People think they understand words, but they really, they really don't. And I'm a pretty smart guy, and I used to think, ah, oh, there's no way me going over a word I think I understand, I don't really understand, could really stop me from learning learning something. Right. But then I actually started to look up words, look up the meaning of words, and I realized sometimes I thought a word meant wasn't actually what it meant. Or if you actually look at the, the history of the word, then you should really understand, oh, that's where that word came from. Oh, here's what it really means. You know, and – um. And so that's one of the things. The, the second thing is like uh, physical stuff. Like in school, a lot of times you're learning things just through a book, but there's no there's no physical things about it. So like it, it's like if you tell somebody, hey, I'm going to teach you how to ride a bike by reading a book. That's never going to work. Sure, you can put the instructions in there, but until the, the, the kid can look at the bike, can feel it, can get, get on it, sit on it, pedal, you know. That's the physical aspects of it. So all of those things, some, the, all these little things are barriers to study. You know, not having the physical things, the mask that's there that you can actually look at and touch and feel and, and know that that thing's real and you can learn about it. And um, you know, not having sometimes actually when I'm trying to describe an idea, we will take uh, things around pens and little little gadgets and things, and we will. Like, like make the idea and then put it together and say, okay, I'm standing over here. You're standing over there. This is what we're trying to do. And then you're like, okay, the person gets it because there's physical things there. So yeah. things like that are, are all barriers that in our school system, they're not taught. In fact, you know, a lot of times people, people aren't even aware that these things are barriers. They give kids words and they don't define the meaning of those words. And now the kids are kind of confused, especially with with different subjects, science, it happens a lot with science. Yep. It happens with finances in the Dude, financial world. I agree, man. I'm constantly asking Siri or – oh, she's not on – Alexa. I'm always – I, I muted her because she likes to – she thinks she hears her name all the time. But I'm constantly <laughs> asking them for – you know, define this word. If I hear something or I read something and I don't understand it, like constantly – because I do know that that's one of the things that'll stop you from from like being able to understand an entire book, <laughs> like one word, like screwed you up. So yeah. so you know if let, let me ask you like so you 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 come over here, you go to college for a bit. At at some point, you decided to join the workforce, right? Yeah. So my first year in college, and I decided this is not. This isn't, this isn't for me when right. I decided, when I got that realization that this wasn't for me. I actually knew my first day in college it wasn't for me. I I had a sense of it. I just didn't know because my first week in college, English professor asked us to write a paper on why are you in college. And I oh. could not actually come up with a real good reason besides to get an education. <laughs> so there was no – I, I, I didn't I did anything that was real. 
And so I made up some crap. And so I realized, you know what? I thought back to that paper and I realized, you know what? I really didn't even know why I was there. So after a year, I left. And and um, I had a cousin living in Minnesota. So I went there. I went to visit her in the spring. And Minnesota is beautiful in the spring, all the lakes and everything. So I thought maybe I'll have to live here. So I moved there. And um, Oh, you moved to Minnesota. Yeah, I, I moved to Minnesota. Wow. Um, and I stayed there with my cousin. And uh, I went to they have this big mall called the Mall of America, the biggest mall in the, in the United States. Yep. And uh, they had Nordstrom's there. So I went and got a sales job at Nordstrom's. And, uh, you know, I, I got hired there. And, and that was my basically the start of my experience in the workforce. I had a, I had a little job before. My very first job in America, I was a, I was a cashier at a grocery store. And I was really well dressed in a uniform, and uh, so they 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 used to use me in their promo videos because <laughs> they're like the African boy. <laughs> he's uh, he's always well dressed. Uh, he takes pride in his stuff. So uh, so anyway, so they, wow. they use me in their promo videos because uh, they're like put put him in the front, land. Let's take some pictures of him. So that's what they never paid me for it, but uh, but I made some some promo videos somewhere for. Uh, for this grocery store chain, wow. but that was my first job when I got to America, and then, uh, my first actual real workforce job as an adult when I left college, and I went and got into sales at Nordstrom, and wow. um, everybody at Nordstrom had a college degree, almost everybody had a college degree, and nobody used it. That was right. the, the, one of the most surprising things. I, I, everybody there had a degree. They were all doing something. I had a degree in art and English and whatever they had the degrees in. And none of them were working in the field of the I found this very interesting in America. I was about in America for maybe two years at that point. Wow. Two, three years. And uh, I thought, hey, this is, this is a very funny thing. Why don't people use their degrees? And so, but anyway, so that, that's, that was my kind of first real job was working in sales at Nordstrom. So, so, okay, so at some point, my gosh, I can't believe how fast time is going by here. Um, so, so at some point, um, well, I, I guess let's just let it unfold. What happened after Nordstrom? So after Nordstrom, um, I, I got tired of the cold in Minnesota. At this point, another war happened in Liberia and my mom had fled Liberia and came to America. So she came to America. My and so she was living in California. Um, uh, my mom, <clears throat> Mom, I got remarried to a, a guy from Liberia, and she was living in California with him. And so um, she encouraged me to come visit. So I went there, and I really liked it. So I moved to California. I moved to California. So I was continuing working in sales. And for years, when I came to America, I always wanted to understand what do wealthy people do with their money? Uh, like how, how do they buy cars? How do they do stuff? You know, Where do they keep their money? Where do they put it? And nobody could tell me this. This is something I want to find out years when I first came to America. Nobody could tell me this. And uh, after I moved to California, I was living in San Diego, and I ran into a financial advisor one day, purely by accident. <clears throat> uh, he had just moved back to San Diego. I was in a bookstore. He was just kind of – he saw me sitting there, and you know, he, uh, he came over and started talking to me. We just started to have a conversation, asked where I was from, and, uh, and I said, hey, I'm from Africa. And so he was a white guy who had been to like five different African countries. He loved Africa. So he and I just kind of started talking. So I, so wow. I asked him what he did, and he told me he was a financial 
he advised you know people on their finances. And I said, okay, do you have rich clients? Do you know rich people? <laughs> what the hell do they do with their money? Where do they put it? What do they do? And uh, and then he laughed and he said, yeah. And I, he said, I have a lot of rich clients, Martin. And I said, please tell me what the hell do they do? And right. so. So he told me, he goes, what, what, what do you know about finances now? And I said, uh, well, this is what I know and this is what I've done. I've got a 401, 401k, I've done these different things. And he said, well, wealthy people, they do other things. And so he, he explained to me uh, 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 what wealthy people did. That was very different from what the masses do. And, um, and at the end of that conversation, I said, how can I do what you're doing? I want to do that. And uh, he said, I met, I met him on a Monday. This is maybe over 10, over 10 years ago. I met him on a Monday, and he said, well, come to my office tomorrow. He said, do you have a suit? I said, yeah, I got a suit. He said, put it on your suit. Come to my office tomorrow, and I'll, 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 I'll talk to you about the business, how the business works, and things like that. And so I went there the next day, and, um, and you know, he and I started working together. Wow. And so, uh, so he, he was the guy who taught me a lot of things about – how wealthy people think, how to look at things differently. He always had what I call opportunity eyes. And I want to give a shout out to my man David Miner on here. I, I like David. David's a great guy. There's a lot of guys on here that I that I watch and I like. Hey, what's up, Chevy? There are a lot of great people on yeah. here. Well, what's what and uh, that you watch them and they're they're, they're doing things. They're moving. I yeah. like that. I like I like movement. I like people who are moving, doing stuff. Yeah. And so. Um, so this was a guy who who was very much doing things, you know. This is my first mentor, and uh, he really taught me about the financial world and how how and oh, I was talking about opportunity eyes. Everywhere we went, he would look at things and he would see things like he would see new construction going up, and he'd look for you know what what, what was the the average income in that neighborhood and. You know what type of homes were in that neighborhood, and what type of grocery stores were there, and if we're opening a new bank, if a new bank branch was open in that neighborhood. So he taught me to look with opportunity eyes, and is is what I call it. You know, you, you're just kind of looking and yep. seeing how do you, you're what seeing how do you put that together to maximize whatever opportunity is there. Can you spot it? And um and so he was he he was the first guy to help me really see that, and then um help me really understand. The mindset of building wealth and what wealthy people do, and so I got started in the financial industry, and I was I I was uh, had a lot of self doubt when I got started because I used to think um, because when I when I came to America I learned that the people who had money were middle aged white people that became what I I called my <laughs> that, that was what I thought to be true right because I would see expensive cars and I would always see middle-aged white people driving these expensive cars. And so then somebody told me, well, they're the ones who can afford it. So I used to think, why would middle-aged white people listen to a young black guy about their money? <laughs> that was the, the thoughts going to my mind when I first got started in yeah. the financial world. And then I, I realized that if you learn things, if you really learned your craft and you identify where people's problems were, and you could present them a solution. They didn't care if you were black. They didn't right. care if you were young. They didn't care about that. They cared about their damn problems. And could you solve it for them? Right. And so, uh, so that after I started to really get some really successful clients because they they knew how to make money with the thing they were doing, there were other aspects of the finances they didn't really know how to properly handle, or what they didn't know what kind of financial instruments could help them, you know, do the things they wanted to do. 
And so from there, I started to really learn a whole lot and really start to develop a lot of confidence. And then over the years, you know, we built a business where we work with a lot of high net worth individuals and, and uh, people who build a lot of wealth, but they still want to understand, well, how, how do I protect it? How do I pass it on? How do I handle taxes? Things like that. And, and so that, that was kind of my journey from going from, you know, working, you know, into my first sales job at, at Nordstrom's to, to you know, transitioning into the financial industry and then now building a business in the financial world. And and a and a, a great business you are building, from what I can tell, from from an outsider looking, just because I, I watch you guys, I watch David Miner's been been a guest on the show. He's a really good friend of mine. Um, love that dude. And you're right. I I love watching people that are doing stuff because again, people get stuck. People and and I I have people on this show who are actually doing stuff now they're actually like they've they've been through the problems and they overcame them and they're they're now you know either most most of the people i've had on by the way are are millionaires i i don't know um i don't know if you are or not are you <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> you don't have to disclose that i'm playing but i know you guys are doing very very well and i love you and your wife you guys are amazing and and William William that kid man holy crap he is not lacking personality in any way. <laughs> yeah, he, he he's got some big goals and big, big dreams. We're doing well in our business. Uh, I'm thankful for that. And um and but I'm always looking at what's the next level for us. Right. And we've been very fortunate to build a successful business. Uh, to you know to get to the level that we're at. Right. But we always want to expand. Um, I'm not a guy who really dwell we. We hit a milestone in our business uh, maybe a, a month or two ago. Yeah. And then Chelsea and I high-five for five seconds. Clap. Matter of fact, more people want to celebrate us than we care to really celebrate the milestone. Uh, and that's because we're looking for what's the next thing. And so uh, when you get to having a million dollars net worth or million-plus net worth, well, then what's the next one? And well, you get a $10 million. And so we're, we're working on what, what our next things are now yeah. for, uh, in, in terms of – financial goals so you know we, we high five for you know we appreciate where we are but what you talked about earlier the potential i believe our potential is so high that even this far is probably this this much compared to what i believe the potential is right and um you know it, it's uh it's just a matter of doing I, I believe very much in doing either you do it or you, you don't do it there's no you can talk about doing it all you want but that's why I don't really talk a whole lot about what I'm going to do. Uh, either you do it or you don't do it. And Amen. that's it. It's, those are the only two things. <clears throat> Amen. Nobody cares why you didn't do it. Either you did it or you didn't do it. I, I so, man, so, I, 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 I teach my, you know, my, uh, my, my wife and little girl have been gone for a week at the, at the national dance championship. And my little, my little eight year old daughter is a national champion now. Like she literally, that's crazy, man. It blows me away, but I've taught her since she was able to, to understand that she's, she's capable of doing anything that she wants in this life. As long as she does it, like you got to take action. You know, and, and the whole Grant Cardone thing that, you know, that's how we met is, is through Grant. And, yeah. and, you know, the 10X is not a, it's a mindset. It's not a, it's, it's, it's reality. Like so many people are just talking heads. All they want to do is talk and judge others and talk crap and 
be on social media and whatever, and that's fine, you know, to to each their own. But at the end of the day, it comes down to having big goals, writing those goals out, and taking massive action. Yeah, and um, I, I give you guys a little tip in some of the things we've did because we we've expanded our income massively and, and expanded our net worth. We we set targets, uh, but we do things uh, weekly. So, matter of fact, uh, each each week, my wife and I we we discuss our money, and we discuss where things are out financially, and it, whether they're good or bad, we still discuss them. Right. And not that they're bad, but wh- I mean, wh- wherever it's at, we discuss that. If it's up, what what caused it to go up? If your income went down from the week from the previous week, what what caused it to go down, and and how do you fix that? So that's what we um that's what we we do, and so. Her job and her role and part of her role in our business is she she takes some of the business stats and she sends them to me and say you're the stats from last week. So those are the stats we have. Weeks. So each week we want to have an, an ongoing and, and growing business. So that's the way we, we look at things each week so that we're continuing building, continuing expanding. And that, that makes a world of difference in terms of what you're doing versus just kind of hoping it all works out. Yep, you got to watch. You got to watch what you're doing. I agree. You got to track it. So, so you guys, and 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 again, we're we're kind of at the end of of the hour already. But it, hey, we can go over. It doesn't matter. I don't care. It's my show. <laughs> we can go all day if you want. But but the you know, I, I mean, you guys, you you and your wife wrote a book. Do you have a copy of it next to you? You know, it's usually right here, but I think she. Hold it. I'll, I'll grab one here in a second. I, ha- I have it around here somewhere. I just saw it there. Yeah, I'll grab it for you. It's right over here. Yeah, I want, I want you to show everybody your book. I love your book, man. Well, this, this is our book. Let's, let's fight about money. There it is. There it is. Let's fight about money. How, how to communicate about money, handle conflict, and build an unbreakable financial house. Love it, man. I love that. So, um, what's next for you guys? What's 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 coming up? Anything big? Well, lots of big things we're doing. We are um, our, our uh, two things that we're we're working on currently. Our you know we have an insurance and financial agency, so we're we're going to be expanding the agency. I'm personally I'm licensed in 26 states, so I have clients in 26 different states, and I have a. I have a satellite office in California, and I have an office here. Wow. And I'm, I'm going to do more things in our office, you know, because people see us and may not know we have, it may not understand that aspect of our business, but there's a lot of compliance in the financial world where you can and can't say things, and certain things you can't talk about, and other things you can, and right. so we try to navigate around all of that and try to still give out, put out good content. But we're working on expanding the agency. Um, you know, I, I really want to have offices in in 10 different states in the next, you know, 18 months or so. Wow. And uh, so people out there and you ever thought about being in the financial world and, and uh, you've got some experience in sales or you're good with people, you know, feel free to reach out to us. So that's something we're, we're focused on doing, expanding that business. And then and we have our, uh, you know, our son's business where he teaches kids good money habits called Kids for Wealth. And uh, he's, he's, uh, almost done with his book, so he's going to put out a book about teaching kids how to make money and how to manage the money that they earn. Love you know, it. he's uh, 13 years old, and uh, he's got better money habits than most adults would. I, I would trust him with my money more than I, I trust most adults. Wow. Because uh, because we go and he thinks about his – here's why I would do that. 
because he thinks about his financial decisions. Right. And uh, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily have to think like like about it. He just thinks through it. That's all. He thinks through it for a minute or two and makes a decision, and then that becomes his decision. Right. Uh, from everything, and we you know we Chelsea primarily uh, started teaching him at six years old about money. Wow. So uh, you know he's the the sole heir so far, the inheritor of our estates or anything we build. But even that, we leave, we're going to leave it to him in stages. Though we, we believe he can handle it, but we will still leave money to him in stages and leave money in his care and things like that. So we we, we want to make sure that if you're going to leave money to somebody, you ought to teach them about it. Uh, so that's uh, uh, going to be doing things with his business where Chelsea's got a series of videos coming out teaching, uh, talking to parents about teaching the kids about money and, and good financial habits. So we're going to be working on his business as well. There's uh, there's lots of things we're going to do with it. We're going to build apps. Uh, I want to do some either comic books or car- cartoons. We, we've developed some of the characters around it that teaches kids good money habits. Uh, we want to wow. get uh, wow. his money system into school, into schools, and um, just things like that. He's going to speak more. Uh, he's going to do do th- things like that. He's only 13 years old. So as he and he's already speaks with he already speaks at places and so we're gonna expand that business as well teaching kids good money habits because we're tired of seeing uh, you know one generation to the next generation and then they don't really learn you know statistically most businesses don't pass to the next generation even if the business manages to be successful it doesn't successfully pass the next generation something like seventy percent of businesses do not go to the next generation right well the next generation maybe never learn how to handle the business or handle the money or whatever it is and I see this common with a lot of clients and um, and I want to develop a program around this because they worked a lot of a lot of very successful people came from nothing they worked really hard became successful want to give their kids every advantage they can yep and then but there's a there's a borderline in which Sometimes they're giving the kids too much, and yep. they realize it, and they're like, "Oh, I gotta." So they just struggle with that, and um, and, and we want to teach parents how to do that successfully with their kids. One of the things we did with William, and uh, is he uh, he buys we, we we buy necessities, but he buys all the things that he wants, and sometimes it's hard because you're making a kid buy his own stuff. Yeah. But it's actually teaching him lessons. It's teaching him how to earn money, how to Make money, how to handle his money, how to make financial decisions, and so, uh, so you know, he's uh, and he's proud to have his own money. And 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 uh, the other day he said, you know, having money is like power. You know, money is like power. Yeah. And then whenever you just blow your money, yeah. you're just giving your power away. Yeah. <laughs> so I wow. thought that was very wise for for somebody his age to come up come to that conclusion on his own that you know this this is my power to my freedom tool, my power to do things, my power to have the things I want, and I don't just want to just give it away willy-nilly. So, so, so I, I, I want to ask you before, before because I, we can't go a whole lot longer, but I do want to ask you this question. I want to, I want to know, you know, and I, I try to get this out of every interview. I mean, you've seen some. I had Sharon Lecter on here, the co-author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, and and Robert, she was Robert, the Kiyosaki, or the Kiyosaki's company, she was the CEO for 10 years, she's an amazing woman, and she's all about money, right, she's all about teaching people, 
She was on the presidential advisory committee for financial literacy for for President Bush and Obama. So, like, you know, and and so there's you're right, man. There's a huge, huge gap in in this country. But let's let's break it down to um, something in in layman's terms, something that that the average person can understand, because the average person, dude is not even remotely close to as as um, well-educated as you are on on all of what you're talking about. And the average person probably isn't as, as smart as you are. <laughs> so for the average person that can't like they they can't they can't figure it out man they're struggling they're 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 having you know their utilities shut off they're ha- you know david minor talked about that about he was getting evicted so he filed bankruptcy so they couldn't evict him you know <laughs> and, and then he you know he he corrected everything but but you know for the average person that that's stuck that can't figure it out that that maybe um, you know, has a regular job or a sales job, or they have a business that's failing, or whatever. What What's the number one? No, two questions here. N- number one thing you see people doing wrong when it comes to life, not just money, but life. And and then number two, what would you tell that person to help get them unstuck, or at least get them on the right path immediately? Well, I, I, I like I like formulas. Formulas are easy to remember. So there's a formula I use in life um, called be have. What it means. Lots of people know what they want to have. I want to have a big house, big car, successful business. I want to have a great marriage, great kids, whatever. We all have this. We we a lot of times we know what we want to have. Some people don't. But we got this some somewhat of an idea of what we want to have. And then if you work it back, you have have over here. Then you have do some people know what they got to do or oh, i i gotta make more money i got i got this, all these things i gotta do and a lot of times what people are looking for they buy a course they buy a program they're looking for somebody to tell them what to do how to do it you know and all of that they're looking for the do what are the tactics what are the strategies but actually what's more senior to that is be who do you gotta be so most of the time where I find people are making error and that is they don't know who they got to be. Who, what kind of personality do you have to be? You know, how, how do you have to be like, what's your viewpoint in life? So a mistake a lot of people make in terms of their life and especially in the finances is they think in terms of scarcity. They think in terms in terms of limitations. Oh, I can't have that, or I can't do that, or I can't, I'm not that way, or whatever it is. They, they think in terms of scarcity. And so uh, if you become the person that thinks in terms of abundance, that lots of things are abundant now, how do you become that person? Because that's what a lot of people want to know. You program yourself, all right? You're just like a computer yeah. where you have all kinds of computers have a lot of garbage on them. You wipe everything out, and you reprogram yourself. Well, how do you do that? Well, you start to say things over and over to yourself until you start to accept those things to become tr- to be to be true. So if you say I am the I am is one of the most powerful words in 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 an English language or any language. Yep. Uh, I am. Uh oh. 
You're frozen. I don't know what's happening here. We have another hiccup. Is any can can you guys still hear me? Can you still hear me? Wow, the internet is being crazy. Something happened. I don't know what happened. Okay, we back? Yep, you're back. You're back. Okay. So it, I was talking about B do you have. Yeah. And uh, if you start saying over and over, I'm successful, I'm successful, eventually you go, oh, shit, maybe I am successful. And then what happens is that becomes that becomes your viewpoint. And then next, you automatically know, well, what does a successful person do? And you do those things. Uh, people who say, well, I'm, I'm bad at follow-up. Well, guess what, guess what you'll do? Yeah. You'll do what somebody who's bad at follow-up does, which is not follow-up. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have the skills. So a lot of times people don't focus on who they got to be. Look at yourself and really look at who do you got to be. And, um, and, and so I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make. They try to look for tactics. That's why I can tell people every single thing I'm doing. I've told people lots of things we're doing to achieve our business success. And they don't do it. You know why? They don't have the right be. Yeah. They don't see themselves as that kind of person. Most people are very intimidated to work with high net worth individuals for whatever reason. Either they don't feel like they know enough. They don't think they've had enough success themselves. Whatever, whatever reason that's in there that they have. Well, I decided, well, I'm, I'm going to be somebody who works with high net worth individuals. So guess what? I became that. And so then what do I do? high net worth individuals and what do I have I have a successful business working with high net worth individuals I mean it, it's just it's a it's just a all oh, I changed was the B so work on the B the other thing I'll say really quick is when it comes to money and finances people don't have what I call their their core stable thing they, they run off of right uh, when it comes to the money where people make a lot of mistakes is uh, they don't have a stable thing that they say, okay, this is what I'm going to evaluate any investment or anything I'm doing against this because this is my core stable thing. Yeah. You know, uh, and when it comes to people focusing on the wrong thing, one core data that we believe and we we do everything we can to make sure this is true is out uh, income has to be greater than outflow. What that means is whatever your lifestyle is, your income has to be far greater than that. Yep. It sounds simple, but if everybody followed that, people wouldn't be getting into massive consumer debt. People don't always follow that. That has to be the stable core data. And then we identified, so for a lay person, we identified what, what's the four enemies of your wealth. Um, and so if you if you evaluate anything you do with money around these four things, you, you actually end up becoming very successful. And uh, number one is taxes. Tax is the biggest enemy of your wealth. I don't care what anybody says. I do not plan to or want to have any desire to pay a dollar more in taxes than is legally allowed. And I have every right as a person living in America, I have every right to reduce taxes legally to the lowest possible. It's not the government's job to tell me what to do with my money. I don't even know what the hell to do with my money I sent to them. So taxes. Number two is inflation. You know. Uh, whatever you put your money has to outpace inflation. If it doesn't, you're losing value. You're losing money. Right. Uh, number three is market risk. You know what? A lot of people like uh, cash flow and real estate. There's very little market risk there. Even if the real estate market tanks, the tenants are still in there. 
paying their rent, you're still cash flowing. Yep. So cash flow in real estate is not impacted by markets ups and downs. People invest in the stock market, have lots of ups and downs, very little control, mutual fund, all those kinds of things. So market risk, which is where most Americans have their money in the stock market. Yeah. Market risk is important. Uh, uh, unnecessary interest on consumer debt. If you take those four things, taxes, inflation, market risk, unnecessary interest on consumer mm -hmm. debt, and you can handle those things and you can make sure you have more money coming in than flowing out every month, you become financially successful. That's what that's what a lot of wealthy people do. They structure everything from that point of view. They're always looking at what's going to be the tax implication. They're looking at is my money growing at least outpacing inflation so I at least can keep up. They look at, well, how can I minimize and eliminate the risk? People think that higher risk leads to higher returns. That's not true. Statistically, that's not true. Higher risk leads to higher risk. And I can actually prove to somebody that higher risk does not, in an investment vehicle, equal higher returns. Right. That's what Wall Street tells you because they don't know how to protect against downside risk. And um, and what and what what that simply means is don't lose money. You know, so so you gotta you gotta do things in a way where whatever you're doing makes money, not also lose money. If you're losing money, there's a problem that you haven't figured out that you have to fix. If you have too much debt, that's a problem. And usually the problem is a lack of sufficient income. Yep. Whatever you do, your most attention has to be on producing, creating, as and creating income. I'm not the I'm not the the greatest fan of when you get started, the whole multi, uh, 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 multiple sources of income. When you're getting started, I don't believe that's the way. I see too many people misunderstand that. They think so they got eight streams of income, but it's barely equaling one good flow. Right. What your attention in eight different places trying to create income streams, but you, you barely got one good flow. I believe you put a lot of attention, especially if you're just getting started. Yeah. On what income flow you have now? Maximize that. Take surplus. Create other flows from that. Create other other things flowing into you from that. Don't go and try to do eight different things at once because none of it will actually get your attention ever, ever amount to anything really. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I see a lot of new entrepreneurs doing. Focus wow. on one thing. Get good at that, master that, then add other stuff. Totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Um, I'm going to need, we have 665 hearts on this. I need somebody to pound the hearts so we don't get to the 666. Just, just, <laughs> <laughs> just somebody blow right past that right now. Just tap the hell out of the hearts. So, so listen, dude, I, 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 I freaking, you know, you, you are like, Dude, you may be a genius. I don't know, but um, you're incredible. I, I genuinely, and I mean this, uh, I love you and your wife, and I, I love what you guys are doing. You guys are uh, amazing. I had the opportunity to, to meet you. Actually, I think we got a couple of selfies. I, I should have should have posted that. Um, yeah. But I'm excited because I have your wife on the show, too, coming up on, I think, Wednesday. So, um, yeah. dude, I, I am so, so grateful that you took time out of your busy calendar. I know you're incredibly busy um, to, to be on the show. How can everybody in the audience find you? How can they follow you? What's your website? Where, where's the best place to follow you? Well, kind of our website where everything is uh, links to all of our stuff because we have different financial websites and everything. But martinandchelsea.com. So Martin. And then A-N-D and then C-H-E-L-S-E-A dot -E com. Links to 
book. That it's just a kind of a portal that links to our different websites. You want financial videos to educate you. All all that is on there. Our speaking engagements. Our we have a show on a digital TV network. We have links to all of that from from there. Uh, otherwise, you can just follow me on social media. I'm at one the number one Martin Matthews. So at one Martin Matthews on just by every social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Of course, you're on Facebook. So be happy to we post a lot on Facebook um, just to get content out there because we get people ask us a lot of stuff Yeah. Uh, to us, ask us a lot about all kinds of different things. So we try to put out content that for everybody, you know, yeah. it's not just for rich people, but it's content that I think anybody can benefit from it to follow and, and things like that. So, Dude, you are a serious and true rock star. You've been through so much and overcome it and, and came to America and, and, and freaking have made it and you're making it every day. You're expanding and growing and I, I just love it, dude. I love it. So thank you so much for being on the show. I, 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 this was an incredible interview. I think, I think I've, I, there's some people that have said some amazing things about you, dude. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Ken, and I just want to give a big shout-out to you for doing this. I know this takes time out of your day, too, to put content out there for people to help people. And so yeah, you know, I love your family you know, and everything. It was great meeting you and hanging out with you in person at, at 10X the other time. So, you know, thanks thanks for this, and thanks for inviting us. And, and, you know, anytime you need us, we're there for you. I know it, man. You rock. I appreciate you. Thank you to everybody who shared this out. For all, Man, we got a lot of hearts now, dude. <laughs> I love it. So thank you to everybody for all the shares, the likes, the loves, the hearts, everything. This was absolutely amazing. And we will see you guys tomorrow back here on Breakthrough Walls. I appreciate all of you. Martin, thank you again, brother. I appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks. You guys have a great day. See you.